Okay? He doesn't think like us. He doesn't do things like us. In fact, part of God is this wonderful mystery. God revealed things to us through the words and prophetically gives us revelation, but there's always a part of God that's a mystery. If your God is not a mystery to you, you get far too small a God. My God is a mystery. Some things I know about him, but there's probably a lot more I don't know than I do know. Because part of God is a mystery. And that's the wonderful thing. Even in that final day in our resurrection bodies, living upon the new heaven and the new earth, there's still going to be things to discover upon about God because he's a mystery. He's an infinite, eternal mystery. We are never, ever going to know all there is to know about God. Now, I can't explain that. I can't understand that because I'm not God. Okay? I'm not God. Even if you think I'm God, I'm not. I'm just like you. A poor human being, filled with the Spirit, trying my best understanding. But I'm trying to get to that place where I allow him to be boss. Because I recognize that he knows a little bit better than me. And this morning I want to speak about God's ways not being our ways. But before I get into this, just in case some of you go down a strange little route, there's two caveats that I want to just bring to you. God still uses sanctified common sense. Okay? With a mind that's been renewed with the Word of God and agrees with the Word of God. That's the first thing. God still uses sanctified common sense. We don't always need an angelic visitation or a word from God to know what to do. If we're born again and our mind is renewed, we have got sanctified common sense that you should have. Okay? So God still uses sanctified common sense. The other thing is this. You want to avoid the super spiritual flaky end of things. There are some people, and I'm not one of them, that hear from God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they insist to write all the time that they have heard the Word of God. That's what I call the super spiritual flaky end. You can hardly have a conversation. In fact, there's no way I could talk to them about Manchester United. I wouldn't be spiritual enough. So I want you all to know today, you know, I'm a man. I support Manchester United. I'm not done the super spiritual flaky end. And we just had me 15 points clear at the top of the league. I mean, maybe God supports Manchester United. I don't know, but... That's just to let you to know, I'm a man with passions and desires and I support football teams and that kind of thing. I am not done the super spiritual flake yet. I wish I could hear God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If God would just write me a book, Chronological Order, Brian and Monday do this, 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 that would be wonderful. It's not like that. I fumble in the dark. Looking for a little bit of light down my tunnel. People think I'm prophetic. It's a joke. I've told you about this before. We're the church, the, the apostolic church, the three blind mice. I do not hear from God 24 hours a day. So with these two things, we're now going to talk about, and we're going to look at some biblical examples of the need to understand God's ways. Okay? Some biblical examples. You see, Alice and I were away last week at a conference at Feldy Brennan. It's the, the guy, Roy Godwin, who wrote the Grace Outpouring book. It's amazing how God is moving there. And this is what made me think about this whole thing. I thought, God, that's just like you. 
You fell the brain and you can hardly find it. It's a way out in Wales, whatever that is. Sorry, any Welsh people here? It's a way across in Wales. It's not just in Wales. It's a way at the far side of Wales. It's about five hours from Northampton. And it's not a large building sat in the main road so cars drive past and you see it. Even when you get there, all it says negates Feldy Brennan. You still can't see it. You've got to go up this hill in a car, round a corner. If you meet someone, you've got a problem. It is amazing that people have been taken to that place by God because you can't see it off the main road. And at this conference, if you didn't have a sat nav, you couldn't even find the church. It was right out in the sticks. It held 180 people in the wooden pews. And when it came to going for a meal at night, we had to go to three different places to eat. And if you didn't have a sat-nav, you were going to starve. <laughs> That's what it was like. So this is right out in the sticks. No one can see it. No one knows where it is. And God turns up. Yes, Isn't that just like God? See, what we do in our humanity, we'll get the XL Centre down in London, we'll put on this conference, there's lots of five-star hotels, around, lots of places to eat, and God goes and does something like that. Isn't that just like God? See, His ways are not our ways. So let's look at some biblical examples of this. Exodus 14, 21, at the Red Sea. This is good. See, here's Moses, the children of Israel, out of Egypt... Being chased by the Egyptians, they come to the Red Sea, they can't get over. The Egyptians behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. What a predicament. What a place to be. So the choice was, thinking humanly, they could either swim over the Red Sea, or they could get the ferry from Egypt to the Promised Land. But God didn't supply that. He said, no, I'm going to part the waters. Moses, stretch out your rod. Think of it. If you were Moses at that time, there's no ferries. You can't swim across. And God said, stretch out your rod. I'm going to part the waters. Is that the way you did on it? Of course it's not. That's the way God did it. It's just not our way. They go on the journey. Exodus 17, chapter 6. They had no water to drink. This is bad. They're in the desert. So if we were in the desert, what they're teaching these survivors, you've got to dig a well. Dig down deep. Dig a well. Or find a river somewhere in the middle of a desert. If you can find a river in a desert, I don't think it's much of a desert. She's going to dig a well or find a river. What does God say to Moses? He says, no, Moses, strike the rock and water will come out. Strike the rock and water will come out. What a way to find water. <laughs> I'd love to do that. A little bit further on the journey, Numbers 20, verse 8, no water to drink again. But you see, it's not a problem this time. Moses knew not to dig a well or look for a river. He knew what to do now. He knew if he could just strike a rock, the water would come out. But actually, that wasn't what God told him to do this time. He didn't listen. He got into methodology instead of relationship. See, he did it once, he was successful. Thought, well, this is the way we do it in future. Whenever we run into water, we go around striking rocks. No. This time God told him to speak to the rock. 
And his grace and mercy water still came out, but Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he disobeyed God. He didn't hear the word of the Lord. See, it's relationship, brothers and sisters, that God's after, not a methodology. So then we move on a bit further. Here's Joshua and the lads. Joshua 3, verse 13. They're going to cross the Jordan. The Jordan's in flood, the experts would tell us. The river may have been a mile wide at that time. And here he is, two million plus people, plus all the animals and things that they had to get over the Jordan. A river in flood. I wonder what they said. Does anyone know where the staff of Moses is, guys? Can anyone find his staff? Oh, let's go and look for some wood. We'll build some boats. Man, they need a lot of boats. Or a big boat, wouldn't they? But God said, no. Get the priest carrying the ark to go and stand in the water. And when they do that, the waters will go up in a heap. And the people can go across on dry ground. Is that what you'd have done? Of course not. But God's ways are not our ways. But let me say this. God's ways always work. God's got the power to back up his ways. So they always work. Praise God. Then Joshua and the guys that are across there now, Joshua 6, verse 1, taking the city of Jericho. You see, what they normally did in these days, they'd lay a siege to a city because you can't really take a city. What you've got to do is starve them out. Hope they run out of food and water. But God said to Joshua, I want you to get them all to walk around the city once a day for six days in silence. Well, there's a miracle for a start, isn't it? Imagine that. All these people walking around in silence. See, what happened the first time they didn't go into the promised land because of the grumbling of the people. The people grumbled, got into unbelief, they didn't go into the promised land. So it's very interesting, God saying this time, I want them to shut up. I don't want any grumbling, they're going to go around here in silence. And on the seventh day, they go around it seven times, so you think of this, seven and six is thirteen, that's unlucky for somebody. I'm just trying to find out the superstitious people here amongst us. And when you've gone round it seven times on the seventh day, the trumpets are going to blow, you're going to give a shout, and the walls are going to go down flat. Bang! God's ways work. The walls didn't collapse on top of people, outwards they didn't fall in, was they went down flat. And the people went in and took the city, because God's ways work. So Joshua, a bit like Moses now, he's cracked it. So... In Joshua chapter 7 and verse 8, Ai is on the horizon, and you think, that's okay. We'll just go and take Ai. We'll send some guys up there. This isn't a problem now because everyone knows God's with us. We're on the victory side. What happened? They got defeated. The reason they got defeated, there was sin in the camp. Achan had stolen something he shouldn't have stolen. But you see, if Joshua had got before God, before he tried to take Ai, God would have told him there was sin in the camp. He should have inquired of the Lord before he made a strategic decision to take Ai. But he didn't. And they suffered because of it, and they were embarrassed because of it. But God helped them out, because that's the kind of God we've got. 
When he did it God's way and went up there, wow, they took the city of Ai. You see, when we have a victory in our lives, that's also a point, that's a point of danger as well as success for us. Because the adrenaline's pumping with thinking how wonderful this has been. Hasn't God done great things? Haven't we done great things? I know what to do now the next time I've got a problem. Oh, no, we don't. We've still got to get before the Lord because each situation takes fresh revelation and fresh faith. We can't live in yesterday's manner. The children have had to get fresh manner for each day and each situation is a fresh word from God. Why has God done it like that? Because he wants relationship. We're built for relationship. We're not robots. If God wanted robots, he could just have built a bunch of robots, but he made human beings with free will because he wants relationship and fellowship with us. Praise God. And he's a crazy one, this. I don't know, listen, but in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4, four through to 6, here's the prophet Ezekiel. He's told to lie on his left side for 390 days because of the sins of Israel. Then he's told to lie on his right side for 40 days because of the sins of Judah. Well, that's a bit unusual, isn't it? When was the last time you laid on your left side for 390 days? And he'd eat and do all the other things while he was doing this. I don't know how he did it. Prophetic symbolism, but there was purpose to it under God. Ezekiel didn't understand that probably, but he did what God told him. We're not always going to understand the things that God asks us to do, especially when it's prophetic symbolism. But it means something to God and it releases things in the spirit realm. It can seem a bit crazy to those watching on. But in God, it has purpose. And then if you just look at it, Jesus in the Gospels, you know, if you were going to have the king of the Jews born, where, where would you have him born? In a palace? God chooses a stable. A stable. And the angels, when the angelic host appeared, they didn't appear to Herod or to the government of the day. They appeared to the angels guarding the flocks by night. Where would you have sent the angels? Probably to the king and all the important people in the land, would you not? But God didn't he send them to the shepherds guarding the flocks by night. Because his ways are just not our ways. You know, Jesus often challenged people to do something to release their faith. Why? Because what happens is our mind always wants to get in the way of our faith. Our mind's thinking one thing, but God may tell us to do something else that's pretty unreasonable sometimes. Faith is beyond reason. So Jesus would very, ask, very often ask people to do something to release their faith. You remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? This man had been lying there. No one put him in the water. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Now this man could have thought at that moment, Jesus, this is stupid. I've been lying here for years. I'm here because I can't take up my bed and walk. And you tell me to take up my bed and walk? But what did he do? He didn't listen to this. He listened to the word that was spoken to him, took up his bed and he walked. Healing was the result of listening to the word of the Lord. It wasn't his own understanding. 
He responded by faith. If he'd stopped to think about it too long, he would never have done it. You remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000? He's got the bread and he's got the fish. He lifts them to his father. He asks the father to bless them. Now, I don't know how many baskets he put these in, but there was 12 disciples, so maybe he you know, split it up so it was enough for 12 baskets. So these baskets weren't filled up now with loaves and fish. He gave them to his disciples... His disciples then had to take the basket, probably a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, and they had to start acting by faith and go to the people, and they gave this one the basket, they took it out, this one the basket, and they were amazed that they looked at the basket, the basket wasn't filled up, but everyone was able to eat. Now at that time, if they'd say, this is crazy, there's not enough in here to feed the people, the miracle would never have happened. They had to trust in Jesus with all their heart and not lean into their own understanding. And the miracle took place. You remember the eyes of the blind man? Preach clay in his eyes. Blind man. Preach clay in his eyes. Why is he putting mud in his eyes? Why didn't he say be healed? I don't know. Because his ways are not our ways. So he put clay in the eyes of the blind man. He then says to the blind man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. This is a blind man. He's a blind, where's the pool of Siloam? He's a blind man. Clean his eye, go to the pool in Siloam and wash. What direction is the pool of Siloam? How would a blind man know the direction? How would he know the direction? So I don't know whether he asked somebody or whatever he did, but he went to the pool of Siloam and he washed and he got his sight back. If he'd stopped and said, I can't do that, I'm blind, Jesus. You've made it even worse now. I've got clay on top of my eyes. (laughs) If he'd stopped to think like that, he would never have got his miracle. So he didn't lean in his own understanding, but he trusted in God with all his heart. And a miracle took place. Because God's ways are not our ways. You remember Peter on the rooftop in Acts chapter 10. Here he is on the rooftop, and don't forget, the early church for the first 14 odd years at least was just Jewish, okay? It was for the Jews, not the Gentiles. That was their understanding. Peter's on the rooftop, and he gets this vision, and this sheet comes down with all sorts of things in this sheet, and it comes down three times. And Peter said, you know, and the word comes, rise, Peter killing it, no, I don't eat unclean things. And God says, what I have cleansed, you can go with it, it's okay, Peter. Then three guys come to the door. They come from Cornelius. And Peter saw he'd been sent to the Gentiles. Now, you need to understand the thinking. Peter was a Jew. This was against everything that Peter believed in. Everything he believed in at that point. And yet, he chose not to lean into his own understanding at that point. He obeyed this vision. He obeyed the word of the Lord. And salvation came to the Gentiles because of it. That's a huge thing. But we need to understand where Peter was and what his understanding at that time was when that sheet came down. It was against everything he'd been taught and everything he believed up to that point. Isn't that amazing? That God's ways are not just our ways. They're just not. They're higher. Then Paul and the team were 
They try to go to different places. The Holy Spirit prevented them going to this place and that place and all the rest. God gave them a dream. So they thought, okay, we're going to obey the dream. They obeyed the dream God gave them. They didn't sit and have a debate. No, they said, no, we believe this is God. We're going to obey this. And so they obeyed the dream. And the gospel spread further around. Praise God for it. So you can see just in the Bible, and that's just a few examples, that God's ways are not our ways. And we've got to learn to trust Him with our whole heart, not lean into our own understanding. This is our main battleground. You see, I've said before, we can believe in our heart and doubt in our mind. We need to know that. So I've just got some examples here from, from church history, pretty recent church history. Who's heard of Charles Finney? Great revivalist to reckon more men get saved and women saved under his ministry than most other people. Millions. Amazing man. But this guy was a very, very successful lawyer. And God called him to become an evangelist, a revivalist. So he turned his back in what he knew to follow God. And amazing things resulted because of that. You know, it's on record that Charles Finney was just going through a town on a train one day and people started getting saved. That's amazing, isn't it? You're not sure. Well, when was the last time you went through a town on a train and people got saved? Recently? Last year, the year before? That's amazing. That's amazing. Or you walk into factories and people would come under conviction. Because he turned his back and what he knew to follow Jesus. Wow. There was a guy in the 1947-57 healing revival in America, this farmer, and he saw amazing miracles. The arms grew out and all sorts of things happened. What God told this man to do was before he prayed with someone, he spit in his hands, rub that, lay your hands in the sick and they will recover. And he saw all sorts of miracles. Now, if we did that, that probably wouldn't happen. Why? Because God didn't tell us to do it. Now, if he'd stopped and said, God, I can't spit in my hands if I'm going to lay hands upon people, he wouldn't have seen the miracles. But because he did what God told him to do, he didn't lean into his own understanding, but he trusted God, he saw the miracles. You say the Gladys Aylward. She didn't exactly have an easy time. She felt in her heart God was calling to China. All the odds were against her. Nearly everybody said, don't go, this kind of thing. Nothing was there in her favor, but in here, she knew God had called her to China. And God eventually got her there, and she did amazing things. But if she'd listened to all the other voices, listened to her mind, she'd probably have given up. But she persevered and broke through and did amazing things for Jesus. I don't know if you know much about the 1950s revival in Argentina. There's a book written for, called Cry for Me, Argentina. I just can't think of the name of this pastor, but he, he, he thought this. He thought, what I'm going to do, people go to what, 9 o'clock till 5 o'clock every day. I'm going to seek God for revival for a period of time, 9 o'clock till 5 o'clock every day. And he did that. After doing this for about 9, nine or 10 months, God said, I want you to get a small prayer group and I want you to go and pray in this particular place. I think it was from 10 o'clock at night till midnight. And so they did that for a few days, and he thought something should have happened. And he asked people, he said, has God said anything to anyone? 
No one responded the first few days. Then this lady one night, she said, I've had this silly ridiculous thought to thump the table. He said, do it. She thumped the table. Bang! God turned up. God turned up. And all sorts of things started to happen in Argentina in the 1950s. A guy called Tommy Hicks went down there. God told me to go to Argentina. He was on the plane. He had this one word, Peron. Hadn't a clue what Peron was, who Peron was. He got off the plane and said, excuse me, what is, does, does Peron mean anything to you? He said, yeah, that's the president. Okay, I'm going to see if I can see the president. So he got to the president's place. The president's assistant was there, second head guy in government. And uh, he said, I'd like to see the president, please. He said, no one can get to see the president without an appointment. And this guy, his skin was covered in something. He said, what's wrong with you? He said, oh, it's some incurable skin disease I've got. He said, can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? He said, go on then. He prayed for him, completely healed. He said, I'm taking it to the president now. <laughs> Wouldn't you? See, God's ways are just not our ways. You, you'd have thought you needed an official calling card to make an appointment. No, God does a miracle to get you access to a president. Isn't that good? I'm so glad God's on our side. Are you on his side? What about the, uh, the Toronto revival? Most of you have heard of that, haven't you? But I wonder if you know this bit. In Toronto, they'd been praying for revival like we do. And in 1994, when God turned up, there was all these strange manifestations and things. And John Arnott, he'll tell you this in his books, and he'll tell you himself, he spent the first few weeks saying, God, what is going on here? I do not understand this. This is not what I was praying for. See, everybody thinks John Arnott was praying for all these weird things. No, he was praying for revival. And God told us, God, I do not understand all this stuff. What is going on here? Well, after a few weeks, and God had enough. He said, look, John, it's like this. You don't even understand your own wife, so you're never, ever going to understand me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's what God said to John Arnold. Any married men here? Married guys, do you understand your wives? <laughs> but that was unanimous, wasn't it? That was unanimous. <laughs> Who's heard of the Smithton revival? Maybe a handful of us. This was around about 1997. A place called Smithton in Kansas in America. A very small village. The population of 532 people and God turns up in the church. There was 200 people in the church in a village of 532 people, and God turns up and does something, and it's still going today. It's now the World Revival Center in Kansas City. Turned up in a village. Yeah, Alison's been there. Turned up in a village again. Not some great big place. A little village out of nowhere that most people probably have never heard of because with 532 people, who's going to hear a place like that? But God turns up. Just like God, you see, his ways are not our ways. So, and like Feldy Brennan, I said at the beginning, someplace out of sight. You can't see it. You've never heard of it. It's hard to find, and God turns up. So, what does this mean for us? Well, we're God's children, are we not? 
Good. We're also a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Part of the meaning of the word holy is to be separated unto God. It also means, I believe, a total surrender. Recognizing that God is God, that he's the creator, and we're the created. That separation unto God and that total surrender to God. Because we recognize that our God is the creator God. He's the sovereign Lord God Almighty. He knows the end from the beginning. He lives outside time. He's working his purposes out all across the nations. And he's our loving father. He's bigger than me. In simple English, God is bigger than me. And God knows better than me. I've got to that place over the years. After a few skinned knees and broken arms and legs and necks and all the rest, I've got there. But God's bigger than me, and he knows better than me. So I think we need to do these following things. I think we need to recognize that Father God knows best. Because he actually does. Father God knows best. And I think we need to go on developing that intimate relationship with him and listening for his voice. You remember when the two Davids came here about the Elijah anointing, talking about hearing the still small voice. We must hear that voice of God, that living word. We've got to live by the living word. We can't live by yesterday's manner. We've got to live by the living word for today. And that comes out of relationship with him. We're going to continually renew our minds with the Word of God. And I, I honestly believe we're going to live in that place of total surrender. Not you will. You know, it says in the Lord, not you will, but not my will, but you will be done. That place of total surrender and submission to God, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was totally submitted to the Father's will. And if we want to walk in his footsteps, we also must be totally submitted to the Father's will. That his will is done in our lives. And it's important to both hear and obey his written and prophetic word. You remember it says in Matthew 7, 24, about how we're building our lives upon the rock and upon the sand. Jesus says, those who hear and obey my word, it is like building upon the rock. But if you just hear the word of God, it goes in one ear and out the other, you're building a life upon the sand, and when the storms of life come, great is going to be your fall. Jesus said that, not me. So we need to be those that hear and obey the Word of God. And I believe that applies to the prophetic Word of God as well as the written Word of God. And also this, obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Solomon given instructions by Samuel to go and conquer the Amalekites, to destroy everything, the livestock and to destroy everything. And Samuel turns up after they'd sorted out the Amalekites. He hadn't killed the king and he could hear all the bleating of sheep and whether it was the mooing of cattle as well and he knew that Saul hadn't done what he'd been told to do. And because of that, Saul lost his kingdom. But do you know why Saul did what he did? And this is a warning to leaders and I'm talking to myself here. He said, I've sinned against the God against God because I sought to please the people and not God. I've got to tell you, if you think you're called to be a leader and you're going to please people before God, you'll never be a leader. 
See, grace and anointing comes from God, not from the people. It comes from God is the source. God is the source. And Saul should have obeyed the word that Samuel gave him and not listened to the people. There's dangers there. And finally, to end where we started, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. God's ways are not our ways and he knows best. He not only knows best, he always wants what is best for us because he's our loving father. Can we stand please? Father, I just want to thank you today that your ways are not our ways, Lord. Father, you've been around much longer than we have because you've always been there. And Lord, you always will be there. You're eternal, you're infinite, you're sovereign, you know the end from the beginning, you know all our past, you know all our future, you're working it all out, and you're our loving Father who always wants what is best for us. I just ask for myself and for the church for fresh grace today, Lord, to trust in you with our whole heart and not to lean into our own understanding because we acknowledge that you know what's best for our lives. And Father, but help us at the same time to continue to use sanctified common sense as our minds get renewed with the Word of God. And please deliver us from the super spiritual flaky end where we're hearing voices 24 hours a day, God. So keep us safe in your grace and wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.